Hello there. I'm Patrick Stroh. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the top experts in mergers and acquisitions, and we're all about one thing here. That's a clean exit for owners and founders. This week, I'm joined by Patrick Kraus. Patrick is a director of MHT Partners and also the co-head of their healthcare services. MHT Partners is an investment banking firm with offices in San Francisco, Dallas, and Boston. Patrick has advised on numerous transactions during his career, including sell-side and buy-side advisory work, as well as various strategic advisory assignments. Again, this is all exclusively within the healthcare sector. Patrick, welcome aboard today. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's a it's a pleasure to sit down and chat with you a little bit here today. Hopefully, we can make it fun and informative for our listeners. I don't think that's going to be a problem. Tell me, now, how did you get started in investment banking in general, but then also specifically where you focused on one sector for an expertise, which is healthcare? Walk us through how you got there. Yeah, happy to. So I, I've spent the bulk of my career uh, working at the confluence of healthcare, finance, and technology. So upon graduating uh, University of Michigan, it seems like a million years ago, I, I came out to the Bay Area and uh, really cut my teeth as a consultant working for Deloitte. I uh, worked across a number of their different groups, but almost exclusively serving their large global uh, healthcare uh clients, um, you know, ranging from integrated models uh, like Kaiser to large biotech companies like uh, Genentech, now Roche, um, and really everywhere in between uh, on the healthcare value chain, uh, hospitals, provider groups. It really gave me an opportunity to deepen my skill set there. Uh, the range of my assignments varied from technology implementations to the development of financial controls to audit work. So between the operational exposure and the ability to build a deep deep skill set, the move to investment banking was uh, a straightforward one. I had worked on a number of uh, post-merger acquisition deals, diligence deals for private equity businesses, all related to healthcare. Knew that I had been bitten by the deal bug. At the time, there was not an opportunity to do more transaction-oriented work at Deloitte, so I went back to business school, got my MBA with the intent of uh, getting more hands-on deal experience, either at a bank or as a corporate development officer at a business. and been fortunate to have the, the opportunity to do both. Uh, prior to joining MHT Partners, I had a quick stop at Novartis' Molecular Diagnostics Group, um, doing some business development, corporate development work, um, and then linked up with the founders of MHT Partners um, as they were leaving their, their respective prior firms to come on board and, and help build out a healthcare practice. Um, which is what I do today. I, I lead our practice and, again, focus on serving founders, owners, entrepreneurs, uh, private equity groups as they seek to craft and, and execute healthcare strategies um, designed to, to maximize outcomes for the party. Well, I like how you went and uh, characterized it. You got bit by the deal bug. I think that's 
uh, something that's kind of common in this industry right now. And as an investment banker, now your expertise is, you know, not on the diagnostic side, but it's, it's helping owners and founders sell their businesses faster and for a greater return and making it overall smoother. Now, healthcare is very, very different from other sectors like tech or consumer products, okay, both, you know, based on their ownership structure and then also operationally. There's a lot less outsourcing that can be done in healthcare. Um, why don't you describe the differences between the healthcare sector versus pretty much any other sector out there? Yeah, it's it's certainly an interesting place to play as a banker, and I think the the realization that folks need to come to is first and foremost, it is it's a people driven business. Whether you know relying on providers to deliver great care or taking great care of your patients, um, it's really driven by the the interactions between. Uh, different folks and being able to speak the language uh, of of medicine and business helps bridge the gap and helps you be more effective when you're crafting a deal. Investing in healthcare is, is obviously a, uh, a process which requires some thoughtfulness just to ensure that you're compliant with the rules and regulations that are in place in our country. Uh, generally speaking, with good reason, and and that is such that you know, business concerns don't necessarily drive medical decisions um, or outcomes. So we talked a little bit about this in, in prior conversations. To buy a healthcare company that actually is responsible for delivering care, a couple extra steps are involved. It's not like the you know. Salesforce going out and acquiring MuleSoft, which which just happened, um, where you negotiate a deal and, and you're done, uh, you can directly buy the company. Physicians um, and physician practices in this country are required to be owned by physicians to be compliant with the corporate practice of medicine. Uh, I am not a lawyer. I'll say that I just I just play one on TV. Um, a good good transaction attorney can help you think through all this as well. But you know, in order for someone to directly invest in a in a, uh, a private practice, there's typically an interim step whereby you create a management service organization or another legal entity that the private equity group can invest in. And that that group does the administrative work and, and kind of back office work that um, physicians tend to loathe while the physician retains ownership of their business and then signs an agreement to, to share revenue with the MSO, um, enabling the private equity group or other non-physician to invest in the practice. It's a little more convoluted than a, a traditional sale but we found over the years that it's an effective way to, to get these deals done, appropriately align incentives, and really capitalize on the, the value proposition that we all believe in uh, on these deals, which is you, you free doctors up to focus on the delivery of high-quality patient care. You hand off some of the administrative tasks, and as you become a bigger organization, um, not only can you see more patients, make Healthcare more accessible, 
hopefully make it more efficient and more cost effective for folks. Yeah, that's the thing that you know you can only outsource so much of the of the admin work and the file keeping and so forth. It's the actual delivery of care. It's <laughs> impossible to outsource. But as you get larger groups, if the if, if groups come together and organizations get bigger, there's a lot more sharing and improved, like you said, the accessibility. That's a real key point that is is a big differentiator. The other thing we can get into a little later on uh, that you mentioned is the regulatory burden is unavoidable in um, in this sector. Now, my experience in the healthcare sector in the last 20 years is largely on the insurance side, doing the directors and officers and the regulatory and cyber coverage, things like that. And when I first got into the sector, I thought of two things. There were doctors and there were hospitals. Okay, that's what every person sees on the street and everything. I didn't realize that there's this entire universe of other businesses that are like the MSOs that are that are established just to support and facilitate and supply the delivery of of care. Now, when we've spoken before, you have a real neat clean way of dissecting that huge diverse universe into real simple to understand I would say buckets for lack of a better word. Tell me about, you know, these buckets, what's the differentiation between each and then, you know, how are they exposed or not exposed or what are their big concerns, you know, facing an M&A transaction? Yeah. So uh, I don't think there's a, a lot of original thought in this, but this is how we've, uh, we at MHT have elected to kind of, Segment the healthcare universe. We, oh no! Take cre- you take credit for it. You made a very, <laughs> very user-friendly way. So go ahead and take credit for it. Yeah, we uh, we have a fairly broad mandate in, in terms of where we like to play. Um, that, that translates into four industry subverticals. So I'll I'll start with the first. It's really been the cornerstone of our healthcare practice, and that's specialty physician groups, <clears throat> whether it's hospitalist-based. Uh, specialties like uh, anesthesiology, radiology, cardiology, um, or it's you know more uh, consumer-facing uh, medical medical fields like dermatology, ophthalmology, dental, and physical therapy. Um, and we've seen a lot of activity in the space and. I've done a number of deals in the space. Um, Key challenges there are, obviously, making sure that uh, all the partners' incentives are appropriately aligned. Risk and uh, compliance is appropriately addressed. Um, And then, you know, making sure that you're delivering high-quality care. At the end of the day, as a physician, you're only... uh, your only product is a, a satisfied customer, um, meaning a, a well patient or a, a better patient. And, you know, really having that high touch and focusing on people is important. And that starts with culture in the business and making sure you get a, uh, a group of physicians aligned with the same mindset is a big part of the battle. But certainly an important part of our, our healthcare system in this country, it's the folks that are on the battle battle lines every day, taking good care of people and 
you know, gosh, it's been a pretty exciting place to be an investor the last five, five or six years. I, I cannot think of a more active period of investment in that, that space um, in a long time. Uh, the second industry vertical that we spend a lot of time on is post-acute care. And that's kind of a, a catch-all for us, but what that means is the treatment of folks um, outside of a hospital or clinical setting. It could be home health, um, it could be hospice, it could be behavioral health. Um, we Physical therapy, too? Uh, that's more more reliant on on providers. Okay. Tend to keep that in the first group, but point well taken. I suppose it it could be uh, in that bucket as well. Um, but the the element here, the interesting thing for investors, has been a lot of the dynamics that we see in our country. Um, for better or worse, we are a graying nation. Um, folks are getting older. Uh, Folks are needing to consume more healthcare services. Hospital's not always the best setting for that. It's not your home, it's expensive, it could be a risk of infection, um, just by being around people that are sick. Taking care of people in the home is a compassionate, cost-effective way to deliver care. Um, and we see that is a pretty exciting area of growth in the coming years. And you know, it's it's not without its challenges as well. You know, re reimbursements have stabilized over the past several years, um, but it's, you know, a business that you know has yet to find a model where you can scale over large regions, just because it's so focused on uh, you know the uh, the provision of care by a local population of skilled nurses. Um, or physician's assistants to take care of people. Um, you know, as you're thinking about how to allocate risk, whether on a deal or after a deal has been identified, and you're thinking about how to translate that allocation of risk into your your purchase agreement, you know, you need to make sure you've got good handle on, you know, providers' um, credentialing. Um, their past record, um, make sure that incentives are appropriately aligned so that those providers stick around. Turn can be a, kind of a scary component in, uh, in this industry. And again, it all comes down to taking good care of the patients. And I think culture is an important thing to look at when, uh, when you're evaluating any opportunity, um, certainly deals in this, this Space as well. That's a good thing to take a look at, um, and you know, throwing throwing a bone to to Patrick. It, it's one where insurance is your friend, and you need to make sure that you have the the right products in place, and um, you know, risk appropriately identified, allocated, mitigated. Gotcha. Uh, last big bucket uh, for us is. You know, technology-driven uh, products and services that could be true healthcare IT point solutions, or you know, products geared towards serving commercial uh, payers like revenue cycle management, billing, coding, scribing, things like that. 
Mm. Here you kind of have a different risk profile. It's more product driven and technology driven. So you want to make sure that you know <clears throat> there's no infringement of IP. There's kind of a uniqueness or a defendability to that technology. Um, and you want to make sure that you've got you know a an exciting addressable market to, to go after. Uh, last bucket, uh, a smaller one, but one that's important to us as well as kind of other healthcare services. Do a fair amount of work in this space too, but that could be you know pharma services like CROs. Um, it could be the delivery of you know good goods and products to a hospital or a clinic. Um, could be some of those products themselves. Uh, it's another area that we like. But again, this different risk profile um, in that you know it is not driven by people or providers per se, but by products and services. And there, you know, a, a more traditional business risk profile exists around you know customer concentration, um, products, um, cost of acquiring or creating products, cost of selling products, all those good things. But Look, it's a it's a broad mandate for us. It's a great big world out there from a healthcare perspective, and you know, it continues to be an exciting place to play from an M and A perspective, from a strategy perspective. And gosh, we uh, we have a ways to go, but we can take some of the other business principles from other industries and apply them to healthcare. Hopefully, we can get better outcomes, make it more affordable, more accessible for everybody. Well, I think the great uh, item that you pointed out there that a lot of people overlook, and it's more of a millennium type of uh, term, is called culture. And particularly in the post-acute care, you know, where we've got nursing homes uh, or assisted living facilities, and everybody can recall those terrible news stories about elder abuse and everything – and these these you know disconnections within the system that doesn't bring the care that should have been brought a lot of that is cultural is just having that culture of wanting to deliver the best care the best services and stand behind it and you see the physicians are are pressing that uh because it's literally their name on the door or their name on the practice as you get to these other things i i can't tell you how uh uh you can possibly understate the importance in culture with uh with the post acute care because that where you've got behavioral health you've got a lot of these other things that they're the softer type longer term issues that you've got to keep that great sense of you know excellence and uh that's great that you pointed out that out with with these um as you look you know because you're dealing with the founders owners many of them are physicians some of them some of them aren't they're in the, the techs the medical tech area you know What's the difference where, you know, some founders, they succeed in getting what they want out of their deal. They they get it set up. They get what they want. Um, and then th their peers will struggle. And maybe you could differentiate it between physician-owned practices or physician-owned companies and then non-physician-owned companies. But, you know, where's the drop-off where, where you know, some struggle and, and others seem to get, get right right to go, right to where they need to be? Well, being ready is <laughs> kind of the the biggest thing that you can do to be successful in a transaction. 
And I, I mean that in multiple ways. One, obviously, it's important to have your house in order um, to make sure that you've got processes documented, that you've got your financials cleaned up and, um, you know, on an accrual basis, if, if possible. But I also mean that you need to be ready emotionally to, in some instances, seek control of a business that you've built for 30 years. Um, you know, be able to, to bring on a partner that is going to have thoughts on how you run your business. Um, and be ready to, to let go of something that you've spent a career building. Um, some folks are ready to do that. Others are, are less so. But being able to really understand why you want to do a transaction, why it's the right time, and you know, being able to have let go, so to speak, um, can help a lot. And a good advisor will be able to talk you through that uh, at the risk of uh, you know seeming shamelessly self-serving. It's very important to pick the right advisors to guide you through this process, you know, accounting, financial, um, deal-related. Um, there'll be a sounding board that can help depersonalize a lot of the, uh, the issues that come up on a transaction. Just like a good lawyer would, would not choose to represent themselves in a, in a deal, a, a good advisor can kind of take you out of some of the more contentious conversations. Um, and, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt you too much there, but I, I do want to really highlight this because I think there's a real big point of having somebody as a third party intermediary there that can, you know, be diplomatic, can listen to, uh, the various players and give honest feedback without being emotionally tied or defensive uh, with the other sides. And I think that that's a great role that, you know, experts like you play in this is that this is a very emotional time. You may have different objectives on the seller side and being able to negotiate within the, the, that selling team before going off to the buyer, I think is critical uh, with what you do. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, just depersonalizing it and, and know that somebody is there to be your arms and legs will, you know, make all the difference in a, in a transaction. And, um, you know, there's no, no secret to it. It's, it's hard work. Um, maybe that is the secret. You know, it's just like anything else. Stay organized. Be, be fair in, in your, your puts and your takes, and uh, you know you'll you'll get through it. And um, a lot of folks, you know, it, it's it ends up being a great experience. You know, it's a chance for you know folks to realize some liquidity. Uh, it's a chance for for folks to affect a generational shift in the ownership of their business, such that it it survives beyond the the first generation of the founders. Um, or to find a partner to, to help grow and achieve the, the growth that you, you see for the business. Um, the, the I think right. another real big benefit of, of having someone like you involved is 
for a lot of these, you know, especially physicians, but a lot of these uh, owners and founders, with some exceptions, this is their one deal. This is their one time. You've been involved in hundreds of these deals. So I think not only have you seen these processes work, you know who the real good buyers are as opposed to the other buyers that may not have the best intentions in the world and may make you, you know, make a prospective seller spin their wheels only to grind them down where you've got others that and they may not offer the best price outright, but, you know, they're going to be a lot easier to deal with. And, you know, their you know, their buying habits. That's right. Yeah, I think you make a great point there, Patrick. And a good advisor, particularly one that's focused on an industry, well, I've been down the road a few times with uh with a few of the uh the buyers that you'd be reaching out to in a process. Give the insights into how they like to negotiate, what's important to them. Um and then in turn allows you to position a seller's business to get the most of, of what's important to you, to you, the seller. Um and a good good uh banker or advisor will be able to to help you do just that. Um, you know, I, another key consideration is whether you want to sell all of it, all your business, so to speak, or if you want to, um, you know, find a partner and continue to work with them to grow it. And that can certainly influence your, your buyer choice as well, um, whether you, you sell out entirely or you identify a partner to move forward with or give you give you unique opportunities different in uh in re- several regards but i think the key point is a process well designed will create options for you such that you can evaluate buyers you can match price points to roles going forward such that you can get the most of what you want. It might not be everything, but if you have a couple options to pick from, you can usually get what's most important to you. Is there uh, a particular size practice or metric for people that are listening that want to get a hold of you? What what size practice or, or maybe value is an area that uh, – you know that you fall in with your clients. That's a good. That's a good question. I think there's there's a degree of flexibility on our end in terms of the mandates that we take on. But I think if you were looking at averages for MHD Partners as a firm, you know, we typically represent companies with around five million dollars in EBITDA or earnings before income tax and depreciation. That's not to say that we wouldn't work with bigger companies or smaller companies. Just on average, that that's where we tend to shake out, and that's more of a function of kind of the life cycle that the companies we represent are, are in. Right, they tend to be a little bit older and more well established, and you know the owners might be looking for an exit or a liquidity event, and you know it just happens to be where they are, but. You know, no, no hard and fast rules. Um, the only, the only real criteria for us is to work with great companies, niche market leaders in in their space, and um, 
you know, usually uniquely differentiated from their peers. Well, I think the best the best way then the best way then for listeners then to decide whether or not MHT would be a fit for them is they need to reach out to you directly. How can how can our listeners find you? Uh, they can certainly find us on the uh, the internet mhtpartners.com. Uh, you can always reach out to me directly. I'd, I'd welcome the conversation, um, and you can call me in the office. That's four one five four four six. 9511 or email me at p-k-r-a-u-s-e at mhtpartners.com. Would love to be helpful however I can be. Well, fantastic. Well, this is a a diverse, very technical, very uh, uh, specific type of area to get into. I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to have further questions for you. And so I encourage everybody to reach out to Patrick. He's going to be absolutely responsive. And, you know, maybe there's a fit, maybe not. But the thing is, having a conversation with with these experts really enhances your chance of having a clean exit. So I want to thank Patrick for helping us and sharing his knowledge with a very, very highly regulated uh, technical industry that is enormous. And so... We wish you all the best of luck, Patrick, and thanks again for joining us. My pleasure.